Amazing Grace Kona welcomes you to today's lesson from Pastor Izzy Manzo. Our prayer is that today's lesson will spiritually feed and uplift you. Now, here's Pastor Izzy. Turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 4.29. It says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. No unwholesome word. Wholesome, if you eat something, like talking about foods, if it's wholesome to eat, it's something that's good for you, that strengthens you, right? It's, if, it's a, if we're talking food, food items, but he says, let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Now remember, Jesus said, a man is not what goes in his mouth that defiles him. It's what comes out of his mouth because whatever comes out of our mouth, it says comes from, from the heart. And he says, and that's, that's the place where we have to watch out that our heart, it doesn't get defiled. Because if our heart is bad, well then, it says a man will speak out of his mouth the things what are the treasures that fill his heart. So in the dating advice I give, they tell them, girls, if you want to know what the guy is really like, just listen to the guy. If you listen and, and all profanities and, and just verbal vomit comes out of his mouth and it's just corrupt things that he says, then you pretty much know that's what fills that young man's heart. But when Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus, he said to them, don't let any unwholesome word, something that doesn't give, well, if it's wholesome, it gives strength, right? It gives nutrients, it builds up. So an unwholesome word would be that kind of thing that tears down somebody, that takes away their strength. Have you ever had someone say a mean word to you and it just tore you down? I mean, it, 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 it cut you. It, it, and some people say to me, well, haven't you heard the, the saying, Pastor, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never harm me? I'll tell you the truth. I think words can harm us worse than sticks. I, I've been hit with sticks and stones and... And it seems like the, the wounds that I got from them, they heal up faster than some of those cutting mean words that have been spoken. Those unwholesome things that people hit you with. And boy, they cut right down to the heart, don't they? And they say those cruel And even as you go through life, some folks just really dish out the most unwholesome things. And it tears you down, tears you up. Well, this is the first verse I memorized. Let no unwholesome word proceed out of your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification according, it says, to the need of the moment, that it might give grace to those who hear. You should say something to encourage them, build them up. We can, with our words, can't we make someone stay? It can just be such a simple word just to say something to build up that person, that you're happy to see them. Now, he wrote this to a church, a whole church. And he told the whole church there at Ephesus, don't let unwholesome words come out of your mouth. Only words that build up people. Say things that build up, edify one another, according, it says, to the need of the moment. Whatever the need is. Maybe someone is, is having a rough day or they... They just got news that their mom and dad died in, in, in an accident. And it takes the right word when somebody is mourning and they just got hit with the news of that, something devastating like that to help build up that person. Sometimes there's not much you can say. The Bible says 
we, we mourn with those when they mourn. We weep with those when they weep, right? We, we don't, it doesn't say you have to talk to them when they're mourning. You just, just weep with them. Mourn with them. If you've ever experienced the loss of a loved one, you know the pain. And when someone else loses a loved one, sometimes all you need is just someone to sit there with you and cry on each other's shoulder. And, and that's it. No words even have to be exchanged. And this verse, this verse just says, according to the need of the moment. If the need of the moment requires a word, well, then you say it. But only say things to build up. Now, Ephesians chapter 5 is going to talk more about the words, our words, what come out of our mouth. There's two more places just in the next chapter that give specific um, instructions about words. Let me show you what it says just a couple verses down. In chapter 5, where, where Paul is talking to them, he, he tells them to be imitators of God as beloved children. He tells the whole church, imitate God, copy him. And he says, and walk in the love of Christ, just as he gave himself up for us as an offering and a sacrifice, a fragrant aroma. And then he said to them, don't let immorality or impurity or greed be even named amongst you. It's not proper amongst the saints. Don't be an a immoral, greedy person. That's not right. That's not fitting for, for church people. He says, but rather, and, 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 oh, and here's one. Here's the speak speech part. He says in verse 4, and there must be no filthiness, no filthy talk, no silly talk, he says, or coarse jesting, which is not fitting, but rather we should be giving thanks. So instead of making put downs or cut downs, we should build up people, not tear them down. As Christians, our speech is supposed to be one that we have our mouths filled with thanksgiving. Have you ever been around someone who's very thankful? Thankful when they, you just go around them, they have a, just that thanksgiving coming out of them. And just, just the way they are. They're always thanking the Lord. They're, thank the people. They're thankful to people that help them. They're thankful. They just have that genuine thankfulness in life. How do you feel around people like that? Happy, right? I mean, I'm like, bring them on, man. Those are the best. There's something wonderful about having people around you that are thankful. Now, Paul said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another. He says, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Now, this is pretty descript when it says, how much should you forgive? Well, how much has God forgiven us? God in Christ has forgiven us all our sin. So how much should we forgive others who sin against us? All, yeah, all their sins. We just have to forgive them all of it. And if you don't, that's the only part of the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6 that Jesus went on to say, after they said, teach us how to pray, he said, pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. You know this prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. earth. Yes, yeah, it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread. And, and then there's that part says, and forgive us our sins or trespasses as we 
forgive those that trespass you. That's a loaded prayer, by the way. Because what if you don't forgive the person? You, you know, what if you're saying, God, forgive me, but I'm not forgiving that jerk. You know, he, he hurt my feelings. I'm not forgiving. And the Lord goes, well, then, see, Jesus went on to finish the prayer. He said, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. And then he says in Matthew's gospel, for if you will not forgive men, your father in heaven will not forgive you. The only part of the Lord's prayer, Jesus gives um, what I call extra commentary, is the forgiveness clause. That forgiveness line is very, he's very specific. He says, if you don't forgive, you don't get forgiven. So when Paul writes to this church at Ephesus, a church, what we, we read about how they, they were a very, a good church in doing good deeds, helping the poor. They, they were, a, we, we'd say, a pretty right on church. And they were the first listed in the book of Revelation as the, fir the, the first church Jesus has a letter written to. But he had something against him. He says, you guys have left your first, your first love. When we forget about the Lord's love, it affects, it trickles down, it affects all of our relationships. If I forget how much he loved me, and I forget how much he forgave me, then I don't really have the right example of how to love others or how to forgive others. I mean, it's God, it says, we know how to love. First John, John writes this, we know love, he says, in that God first loved us. When we hear how much he loved us with an unconditional love, that's that's the love that transforms us into pe people that can love others without conditions because we see how much he loves us. He didn't say, I'll love you when you get it together. God is not waiting for you to get it together to come to church. He wants you to come to church and he'll bring your life together. You can't get it together on your own. So he says, I love you the way you are. And I accept you. Now, does that mean he loves my sin? No. But he loves me so much that he accepts me where I am. And he loves me even more than that. And says, oh, you poor child, I'm not going to leave you stuck in that sin. I'm going to love you out of that problem. Now, Paul's going to go on in verse 1 of chapter 5 of Ephesians. He says, now, therefore, be imitators of God. My belo as beloved children, he says, and walk in love. Just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us as an offering, a sacrifice to God, as a fragrant aroma. And he, this is how we're to love. The way Christ loved us. He, he gave himself up. For, should we give up our lives for others to help others? Yeah. That's what true love is. True love. Jesus said the, the truest of love is he said, there's no greater love than this, than that a man lays down his life for his friends. And then he turned to his disciples and he looked at them. This is right before he would go through that punishment of the beatings before the cross. He says, and you guys, you are my, remember at the, as he had them together at the supper, he says, there's no greater love than a man lay down his life for his friends. But was, what was he about to go do? Lay down his life, yeah, for them. And he, so he looked at them and said, you are my friends. And Jesus had his disciples, he said, come, follow me, do what I do. And then after they did that for a while, he says, now go make 
other followers. They're called disciples in the Bible. Disciple. You make another, show someone else how to do what I showed you. I lay down my life for you. What should you do? We lay down our lives for others. What will they do? In turn, they'll lay down their lives for others. And that's how we really show love. That's how but who are we imitating? Well, it says right here, we are imitators of God. As beloved children, God had his son come and show us this. They said, show us the father. He said, have I been with you guys so long a time? If you've seen me, he said, you've seen the father. Jesus said, I came to show you the father so you would know how to do this. It's nice that it's a valid question. Have you ever had, had someone say, well, if God's real, why doesn't he come down here and show himself? I said, that's a great question. But you know the answer? He already did. But the feeling that people have, you might run into someone who feels like that. If God is really real, I wish he would show himself. And they're just not aware of what Christ did. So it's a privilege for me to say, oh, that's a great question. Han, let me show you something. He already did. He showed himself in his son. And his son has made the way to the father. So good question. Usually they're asking it kind of, well, sometimes not even wanting an answer. They just want to mock and, you know, act like, yeah, there's no God. But there is a God and he has shown himself. And he has told us these wonderful instructions. We can now love with that same love that we learned from his example. He set the example, we copy it. We imitate. So we do, we imitate Christ's love. He laid down his life for others. We lay down our lives for others. That will show them that God is real. Now, the next thing he says, and now keep in mind, who's he writing to? A church. And this is not to secular humanity. This is the people in the church. Listen to this. But immorality or any impurity, this is verse 3 of Galatians 5, immorality or any impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper amongst the saints. And there must be no filthiness or silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Oh, after a while, I found that even when bad stuff happened, I'd be like, thank you, Lord. I don't understand why that bad thing had happened, but I thank you because it says you are a God who works all things together for good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. So I thank you, even though I don't know what I'm going to do. Well, Paul is writing to who again? Church people. Church people. We got to hear this message sometimes to remember. Give thanks, not bad words. Now, I kind of read over verse 3 really quickly, but let me go back to it. He says, and don't let any immorality or impurity, or greed, not even be named among you. There's nothing worse than a greedy Christian or an immoral Christian. And Paul says, in the church, we're not supposed to be the ones without morals. We're the ones supposed to be the moral group. We're supposed to be the ones, not the impure group, but we're supposed to be the ones that are the setting the example of purity. And we're not supposed to be the ones that are the greedy ones. We're supposed to be the ones that are the content with what God has given to us. Paul said he learned the secret to be content with whatever he had. And if we live like that, not immoral, not impure, 
not greedy. Do people, can they tell that about us? I mean, do they, if you don't believe me, let me tell you, whether you like it or not as a Christian, your non-Christian friends watch everything you do. If you have any non-Christian friends and you live immorally or or you live impure, they'll they'll call you on it. Aren't you a Christian? You're not supposed to be doing that. Even if it's something they do. I find it ironic that the non-Christians know how the Christians are supposed to live. They'll even tell you, you're not supposed to live like that. You're a Christian. But if you can receive it, this really does apply to all of us that we make sure that we don't, because he wasn't writing this to the non-Christians. He was writing this to the church. Sometimes I think when I'm, I'm sharing things of, of the scripture, I look around and I, everyone here, I'm like, I'm preaching to the choir. They're all Christians. But then the Lord reminds me, Paul was writing this letter to the Christians, not to the non-Christians saying, here, tell the non-Christians to be moral and pure and without greed. No, no, they're not in the club. He's not addressing their behavior. He's addressing our behavior. We're supposed to be imitating who now? God. And it's easy for me to tell you these instructions, but I got a great way to teach this instruction that is, I found it to be the fastest help when people say, I don't know if I'm doing it right, Pastor. I said, well, I can give you a really easy self-test. I said, what's that? I said, well, if we had a kid here that we wanted to introduce to following the Lord, they're new to the faith. Maybe you got a, a young one. Let's say a teenager, 13, 15, 16, doesn't matter. One of the teenage formative years. And we're going to teach them how to follow the Lord. Okay? And each of you, just to help do the self-test, we'll get a kid for everyone here. Each one of you gets one kid assigned to you. They're going to be for you to help learn about the Lord. And so when they say, I don't know how to do it, Paul the Apostle, he said, you guys be an imitator of me as I am an imitator of Christ. Yeah, he says, I'll imitate Christ and you can imitate me. Now, that's a very challenging thing to do because could you take a teenager and say, whatever I do, you just imitate me. By the way, this is 24-7. You don't get to say only when I'm at church. I'm talking about all day long, how you are with people, how you interact. They hear every phone call that you make. They hear every conversation. They see what you do in private. They see how you are with people. Everything. Could you do with your life? Or would you have to say, well, you can imitate me in certain social settings, but the rest of the time I need you to stay out of the way. I won't want you to see what I'm doing. Because if you're doing anything that you would not teach a young teenager to a formative, to form them into someone as a follower of Christ, that is not a moral follower, not an impure, not a greedy, you're going to teach them the right ways to behave. If you're doing anything, that you ought not be doing. It'll come to mind right now. Because this test works. See, Paul, when he threw down that gauntlet, you imitate me as I'm imitating Christ, he was setting an example how we should help show others Christ. We should be imitating him 
and they should be able to imitate us. But if you go, wait a minute, Pastor, you're hitting too close to home. I got a few things I wouldn't want them to know about. I mean, there's some habits I have that I can't really show to a kid. Then you just found your area to improve on. You just found what you need to work on because every part of your life should be an open book when it comes to really to show another young one how to live. We have to be willing to let them see us do it. You know that saying, do as I say, not as I do? The only guys in the Bible who did that was the Pharisees. And Jesus, he didn't, he didn't like them fellas. He said, you, you whitewashed tombs, whitewashed sepulchers in Old King James. says, you guys are real pretty on the outside, but inside you're full of dead men's bones. That's death. If your life is where you're hiding stuff, but you paint it all up nice on the outside, but you're hiding something on the inside, you're full of death. Wake up. That's not what Paul wants us to do. He said, verse 5, This you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. This is not light words, he says. If you want to be immoral and you want to be impure or covetous, covetous is taking it to a personal note. It's in the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's house, the neighbor's wife, the neighbor's good. You should not want anything what is your neighbor's to take it from him. Because whenever we covet what someone else has, Sometimes that leads to other sin. Just that inward desire for what they have makes us go, how could I get it from them? Let me see. Could I steal it? If they don't want to give it up, maybe I'll just kill them and take it. In the Bible, we have some really good examples of folks that they actually coveted so much that led them to killing or to stealing. Or They're all in the book. So he says, know this for certain. Now, who's Paul talking to? The church. You church people know for certain no immoral person, no impure person, no covetous person who is an idolater is going to have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ, of God. Don't think you get your inheritance when you want to not walk how you're supposed to walk. Pretty hard words, isn't it? But this sermon is pointed only to the church people. This is for the church to get their act together. We can't be being a bad example of Jesus. Because who's watching us? All the people outside the church, they look right at us. They're saying, well, if God's real, you get to live like that. You don't really live like there is a God. They can't even tell. We have to be moral. We have to be pure in what we do. And if you're doing something impure that you wouldn't show to someone else or you would, you know you ought not show, then you just found your area to work on. And best way I know to teach you to work on is if it's a snare to you, get some young people around you who want to know about the Lord and start trying to show them because it'll force you. You can replace that bad habit you got with spending your time of the good habit of being a good example. You know, you might be a bad example right now, but you need to replace that with becoming a good example. And it's really easy when you get those kids watching you because, boy, do they spot everything. I don't think my mama would like you to say that bad word in church. That's what one little kid did to me in Sunday school. And I was like, God, but what word do I say, Lord? And he says, right here, you give thanks instead of having filthy talk 
you have giving of thanks. Start saying thanks to the Lord for these things. Amazing Grace Kona thanks you for listening to today's lesson. You can listen to today's lesson or any of the radio lessons on iTunes titled Celebrate the Lord. And if your travels take you to Kailua Kona on the big island of Hawaii, come visit us. We meet Sunday mornings, 9 a.m. on the beach at the north end of the old Kona Airport. For more information on Amazing Grace Kona, go to our church website at AmazingGraceKona.com. Amazing Grace Kona is the original Calvary Chapel Kona.